We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church.
have in our offering, in our time this morning, in our service, and use it for your kingdom, we pray. Amen. Well, let me welcome you to Lagos. If you're new with us today, thank you so much for being here. We hope that already you have felt very welcome in this place, that this is a place um, that you can see yourself sinking deep into, building community, um, growing in the Word of God, enjoying the Word of God in, a, in this place. So thank you so much for coming. Um, we actually have something that we've made just for you. It's in the chair in front of you, hopefully. It says connect here. If you're new with us, would you just honor us by filling this out? And um, later on in our time of worship, actually as we conclude our time of worship together, when you exit, when you leave, after a lot of people have greeted you and talked to you, because that's the kind of people we are, um, you're gonna just put this on the little table to your right as you walk out of this building. But we would love to have a record of your visit. I also wanna say a special welcome to all our online worshipers, especially a dear friend of mine in Virginia. Hi, Ashley. I'm glad you're watching worship with us this morning. So we've been in Colossians chapter one. We began Colossians several weeks ago, and Colossians has been telling us, Paul has been telling us and teaching this church in Colossae that Christ is sufficient. The very heart of Paul's message to these people that he loves, he's never seen them before, he's only heard about them through Epaphras, someone who's local to Colossae, but he wants them to know that Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all you need. That Jesus, his life and his death for your sin and his resurrection, victory over sin alone, satisfies, satisfies God's requirement for the judgment that comes against you because of your sin. And Jesus alone is sufficient to satisfy God's judgment and wrath complete and total forgiveness and restoration and even sonship, becoming a son and daughter of the living God, being reconciled back to God, sitting in heavenly places with him. All of that is accomplished by Jesus. And Paul says, Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all you need in forgiveness and victory over daily sin and bearing godly fruit in our life. Paul says, I want you to look to him. I want you to hold on to him. Don't walk away from him. Much like the verse I just shared with the kids and you heard Hebrews 12 too, says, essentially, look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't be distracted to your left and to your right and all the appeals of other people and wisdom that they might have to offer you. Listen to me. Trust in Jesus alone. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. And so that's the heart of Colossians. Jesus is all you need. Let's stand together. We're gonna read our text for today, verses 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You may be seated. And so with knowing that Paul's central message that he's building a case for is this, that Jesus is all you need. We find ourselves here in verses 24 through 29. And so rather than starting in verse 24, because I know that's where a lot of our questions are, what does Paul mean by rejoicing in his sufferings or filling up what is lacking the, the afflictions of Christ? We're gonna answer that question by going to the end of this passage. So we're gonna begin in verse 29. So let me just read for you, and you can follow along with me. In verse 29, Paul says this, for this I toil, 
struggling with all his energy. Now note here, um, Paul is giving credit where credit is due. Paul is pointing us back to verses 15 and 19. Those are the heart of Colossians. The heart of Colossians is, I, Paul says, I'm going to exalt Jesus. I'm gonna tell you all that he is so that you don't get confused by the message of Jesus and the message of the world. Jesus is the very image of the invisible God. He's creator and sustainer, and through him, we are reconciled back to God. So we have this incredible image, and so here, um, Paul is pointing back. He says, you wanna know where my energy comes from to work the way that I work? It's not my energy. It comes from Jesus, the image of the very image, uh, invisible God, the creator, sustainer of the universe. He is the one that works powerfully through me. So let me finish that verse. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So the question is, is what is Paul's toil? What is Paul working towards uh, in these verses, what is he referring to? He tells us in verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And so we know Paul's work is to be a steward of the ministry that God has given him. And we know if we were to go back into Acts where the Dr. Luke tells us the history of the early church, he gives us a full account of when God appointed Paul to this great ministry of the gospel. He entrusted Paul to go to the whole world as best he could to share the gospel of Jesus. And so Paul's toil is, I've become a minister according to the stewardship from God. And this is a great reminder for us too as we look at Acts and we look at this verse that this, is, this wasn't something that Paul came up with. This was, came out of Jesus intervening into Paul's life who was a persecutor of the church who radically changed Paul's heart and frame of mind. And Paul became a follower of Jesus and appointed him as a minister of the gospel to the whole world. Paul didn't come up with that. And that's what Paul is saying, that this was given to me. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God for you to the Colossians. And this in particular, what is his job to make the word of God fully known? So what in the world does Paul need to make fully known? He finishes that thought, and what needs to be fully known? The ministry hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. He continues to give us even more detail um, in verse 28. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so, what is Paul's work? What is Paul's work? You'll find this in your worship folder, just a summary statement. Paul's work was to bring the good news of Jesus to the world. That's what God had commissioned him to do. That's what God had empowered him to do. Not strength of his own, but the very power of Jesus working through him to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul was commissioned by God and empowered by God to bring the good news of Jesus. And not only that, but also to teach the saints how to follow Jesus every day. Can I tell you, this is a serious work for Paul. And we get a glimpse of this. We know that just based on verse 24. But this is a serious serious um, work that God has entrusted to Paul to be perhaps one of the earliest voices outside of Jerusalem to bring the gospel to a world that is desperate for reconciliation between them and God. And not only that, not only reconciliation, but also with a pastor's heart to come alongside them in this new faith. How can I help you follow Jesus every day? How can I help you follow him? 
Keep your eyes on him, hold on to him, and follow him every day. This is a serious, serious work for Paul as it should be. But what is the fruit of Paul's work? We know Paul's work, because he tells us, but what is the fruit of Paul's work? So Paul's been given a work, he's a steward of God's calling and this knowledge of the good news in Jesus, and we discover in these verses that Paul really is pleased with the fruit of his toil, with the fruit of his work. So let's look at that fruit of which the Colossians belong. They are a part of this fruit of God's, of Paul's work through Christ, but let's read it in particular in verse 27 of chapter one. So here's the fruit of his work. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul has been working. He has been expending himself far and wide, taking on missionary journey after missionary journey to spread the gospel to every town and city that God leads him to. And here we see this incredible fruit in this small little church in Colossae. It's incredible. They have been recipients of the gospel. They have been been inheritors of this great glorious mystery that is in Christ. In fact, Christ in you. So what is the fruit? So what is the fruit? Uh, this is the fruit that through Paul, empowered by Jesus, sustained by Jesus, the truth about Jesus has broken into the Gentile world. That's what Paul's talking about. The truth of Jesus has broken into the Gentile world, and, and people and whole families and whole towns are responding to this new message, this new news about reconciliation with a God who created them and has loved them, and even though they are have been far from God because of their sin, can be restored back to God. It has broken in. What an incredible mystery that has been revealed. The mystery is not just the message here. It is a glorious mystery that God has made a way for all people to be reconciled back to him. But the mystery is not just the message, but also for whom? Paul says, The Gentiles, that's the mystery. People back in Jerusalem, the church back in Jerusalem, which is primarily made up of Jewish people or Jews who have come to faith in Christ and become Christians or followers of Jesus, the great mystery here is that God intended the same message that was for them also to break out of Jerusalem and come into the Gentile world. Now that's old news for us because we're recipients of that. But it's glorious news, or it's brand new news. It's a revelation of a mystery that Paul is talking about here that is astounding the saints back in Jerusalem. That from the very beginning, God had planned to reconcile not just a Jewish people, not just the 12 tribes, but indeed reconcile the whole world. And the church in Jerusalem is beginning to see that, the The 11 or the 12 other apostles are beginning to see that, that the advent of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Christ is the unveiling of God's original promise to Eve, which was, by your son, I will crush the head of the servant, or the promise to to Abram. Remember the promise to Abram that all the nations will be blessed through you. And so now this mystery has been revealed. How will all the nations be blessed Through Abraham, how will all the nations be recipients of that promise given to Eve at the fall? Through Jesus. And the message of the gospel that God intended the whole world to be reconciled back to him, not just a small group of people. And so what is the fruit of Paul's work? Paul's work has produced fruit in the whole world world. People are coming to faith in Christ because of the message of the cross and the power of the cross. So now, let's jump back to verse 24. So understand with me, Paul says, I've been given a work. God has commissioned me. I've become a steward of the message of the gospel. I've been empowered to go into all 
the world, and I've gone into all the world, and my message has begun to bear fruit. And Colossians, you are example A of that fruit where you responded uh, in faith in the gospel of Jesus. You've been reconciled to God. You have been forgiven of your sin. You've been given new life. So Paul says, this is my work, and you are the fruit of that work. And now we come back to verse 24. What does verse 24 say? Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. What in the world do these words even mean? What is Paul saying? Every time Paul talks about suffering, we all get a little uneasy. And he talks about suffering all over his epistles. The way he talks about suffering is that suffering is a significant part. It's not a foreign part of the Christian's life, in particular for Paul. Maybe another question that we should ask, rather than what do these words mean, we should ask, what did his work or his toil cost him? What did it cost him? We know... And the Colossians knew. The Colossians knew that Paul was in prison while he was writing this letter. The Colossians were very aware of the sufferings of Paul and the cost uh, to him to bring the gospel to that small church. They knew. They knew where he was. But what Paul is saying is that I brought this message to you at great cost to my own comfort and convenience. He says, I suffered for your sake. I rejoice. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Why? So that the gospel could break into their lives. Right? Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, knowing that my toil, even at great cost to myself, has brought great fruit in your life. That the gospel has broken into your life. We get a sense a better sense of what he means if we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Uh, it says this in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. He says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Right? So I live this life for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. All right? So he's saying, I live this way, I'm willing to live at all costs to pursue Jesus, even at the cost of my own life. And then he says this, so, death is at work in us, but life in you. So Paul is saying that as God has commissioned me to bring the gospel to all these little towns, it comes at a great cost to my own personal comfort and convenience. I'm thrown in prison. I've been beaten several times. There's a list in one of the other epistles of all the things that he's been through. But he says, listen, because of the stewardship, what God has entrusted to me to bring the gospel to you at all ends, at all costs, I rejoice in those sufferings because every town that I come to, even though I die a little bit every day, it gives me another opportunity to share the life-giving message of Jesus. So death to me means life to you. Or another way to think about it, if I never stepped foot into Ephesus because I was fearful of the cost it would require me to tell that message and to stay there for two years and preach that message, you would never have heard the gospel. In fact, Paul would say, many of you would never have heard the gospel if it weren't for rejoicing in my sufferings, being willing to take the gospel to wherever it would take me, even at great cost to myself. And so death to me means life to you because you get to hear the gospel for the very first time. So Paul rejoices. He's saying it's worth it. It's worth it. But how does Paul fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? The clue is in the next phrase. The clue is in the next phrase in verse 24. He says, in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his 
body that is the church. What Paul is saying is that the son was sent, the son lived, the son spilled his blood on the cross, the son rose from the grave victorious over sin and death in order that he might draw all people to himself, right? That Jesus died on the cross. For God so loved the world, he sent the son. He loved the world. And the message of the cross and the resurrection is is that there is good news for everyone beyond the city limits of Jerusalem and the the Jewish people. And from the very beginning, God's heart and plan was to draw all people to himself. Listen, God's plan A, to achieve the goal of spreading that message of reconciliation, of restoration, of forgiveness of sin, his plan A was always that the disciples would spring out of Jerusalem, begin to spread that message, in this case, namely Paul, who was a minister of the gospel to the Gentile world, and also subsequently the church. God's plan was that from that epicenter of the gospel message, which is the cross of Jesus, my blood spilt for many, which would resonate out of that city and would be heard by the whole world. We know this. Jesus said it himself, Matthew 28, 19, go there and make disciples of all nations, right? That was the plan from the very beginning, that the power of the cross would be heard by all nations. Or Acts 1, 8, be my witnesses, right? Be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world, not just in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria, but to the very end of the earth. So here's the question. In Paul's day, was the work done? Yes or no? No. There was still so much to do. In fact, they were just beginning. And so when Paul says, I'm filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, he's not saying that somehow that the work that Jesus did on the cross is insufficient. He would be contradicting himself. We go back to verses 15 through 19 and even 19 through 23. He's been telling us the whole time that Jesus, the cross, is sufficient. He alone and the work he's accomplished for us is enough for us. We don't have to go anywhere else. We don't have to add anything else. And you certainly don't have to add the sufferings of Paul to make the sufferings of Jesus more effective for your reconciliation with God. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying that the message of the cross, there's still a lot of work to be done. And through my commitment and suffering, which is even empowered by Jesus, the Jesus of verses 15 and 19, it is through that that the message or what is lacking in the extension of that message of the cross is being filled up by Paul's work. Does that make sense? Paul is saying, listen, there is a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of toil that I'm struggling, and it's resulted in my suffering for your sake. And in my suffering, it is filling up that work that is left to be done, because that was the very mission and purpose of the cross to begin with. So it's not Christ isn't lacking. The work that is left to be done is lacking. And Paul is saying, my life is filling that up. Indeed, yes, even my suffering. So Paul rejoices in the cost of his fruitful work, even his own suffering, because he knows that God is using that fruitful work to fulfill the message of the cross that God intends to go into all the world. Paul says, I'm I'm part of that equation. I'm part of that equation. Why is Paul telling them this? You ever thought of that? I mean, that's what I was left thinking. Thinking about this passage this whole week is, why does Paul tell them just how much he's suffering? I mean, they know already, to a degree. They don't know everything. But why does Paul say, I want you to know just how much I've 
been suffering, and I rejoiced in my suffering for your sake. I mean, is he bragging? Is it like, you know, when someone gives you a gift and says, oh, by the way, that cost me a lot of money? <laughs> right? No, we don't get that sense that that's what Paul's doing. Or is he making them feel guilty, like, do you know how much that cost me? Is, is that what Paul's doing? I don't think so. And other places in, the, in Colossians, we'll actually get there next week. He says, I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Um, so um, as we wrap things up this morning, I just I want to share with you how this has encouraged me this week. Uh, and hopefully, um, you'll feel the same way. So how do, do these words, when Paul says, oh, by the way, Danny, um, I, I really rejoiced in my suffering for your sake. Uh, by the way, did y'all know that we're, we're recipients of the gospel through suffering? The reason, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus because of Paul's suffering. You ever thought about that? I mean, certainly God could have used anyone he wanted to, but he chose Paul, and it was through Paul's commitment and empowerment by Jesus through the Holy Spirit to extend the gospel into a new world, the Gentile world, that you are now recipients of that. And even beyond that, churches and Christians all across the world who have suffered for the sake of the gospel, we are beneficiaries of that gospel message through suffering. Not only that, it began through suffering. The gospel never came to us on a silver platter. It came to us through suffering. We're recipients of that. So, so personally, how has this benefited this week, or how do I want it to benefit me? The first way is that it helps me understand that Paul is no fraud here. Paul is not a fraud. Um, Paul is the real deal. Paul is not a fake. Paul risks his life telling this message because he really believes in Jesus, and he really believes in the work that he's done. So much, though, that he's willing to go to the ends of the earth and even suffer because he believes in the power of the cross. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 32. This is what, this is what um, Paul says. He says, what if I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? And he says, if the dead aren't raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Let me just translate that for you. Um, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church they don't think Jesus really rose from the grave. They're buying into some false teaching. Uh, Jesus didn't really rise from the grave. And therefore, the saints don't rise from the grave. We're just living for this life alone. Um, and Paul says, now wait a minute. Wait a minute here. Do you understand that I've given my life for this gospel message? Uh, that I've been attacked by beasts in Ephesus? That I've been stoned? That I've been put in prison? That I've been, I've been beaten with a cat of nine tails? Let me tell you, if, if, the, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave and the saints aren't, don't rise from the grave, then I might as well just give it all up and just drink and be merry and die. Paul is saying, I'm no fake. I've given my life to this message because I believe it. I saw Jesus with my own eyes. He testified to me who he was. And he commissioned me and empowered me, and I've been a recipient of the grace of God and been rewarded through following Jesus. He says, I'm no fake. And that gives me a sense of comfort that as I believe in Jesus, 2,000 years removed, that it has been handed down to me by a man who had a real encounter with Jesus. He wasn't a fraud. He wasn't a fake. He was the real deal. It also has benefited me because... His suffering is intended to be contrasted against spiritual leaders who are seeking personal gain. This whole letter is about don't believe these other spiritual leaders who are feeding you a bunch of lies. And he's saying, listen, I have given you this message of Jesus at great cost to myself. I'm not trying to fill my belly or, or gain wealth or notoriety. I'm not doing any of that. You know that. I've suffered for the cause of the gospel. Not because I'm trying to gain some personal momentary reward in this life, but because I believe in the gospel. And he says, I want you to look to these other people. 
Now we know this because he, in Philippians, the Philippians had to deal with the same thing. In Philippians, he tells them, listen, I want you to be aware of the people in your city who are disseminating lies to you. Let me tell you what, their, their stomachs are their gods and their end is their destruction. Don't follow them. And Paul is saying, my stomach is not my God. Jesus is my God. Even great cost to myself. I'm not gaining anything here by sharing with you the message of Jesus and telling you not to go anywhere else. The third way that this has benefited me, um, and I'm sorry, I don't have any of this in your notes, but you can just write these things down. The third way that this has been a benefit to me is his suffering is a living testimony to the power and the glory of the cross of Jesus. That nothing compares to Jesus. Paul says in um, Corinthians, it's, it's not on your screens, he says, I, I've lost a lot for Jesus' sake, but compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, I count everything as loss. And so Paul, in his suffering, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. It points to the reality and the power of the cross in his life. Not only that, fourthly, his suffering and the fruit of it and found in the Colossians points to the power of the cross to overcome the world. Now, understand what I'm saying here. So the... G, uh, Paul's testimony in his life, his own sufferings, points to the power of the cross, that, uh, that the, power, the cross is the power to overcome sin and sustain us through very difficult things. But not only that, Paul is saying nothing stops the gospel, not, on, not even when I'm put in prison. When the world tries to overcome the gospel, what did Jesus say? Listen, you're gonna face suffering in this world, but don't worry, I've overcome the world. This, that's what Paul's saying. That's what Paul's saying. I can rejoice in my sufferings because it doesn't matter what the world throws at us, the saints of the church. It doesn't matter what the world throws at me. Nothing will overcome the gospel. And I'm living testimony of that truth that even when they, they try to put me down and shut me up and put me in prison and beat me, the gospel continues to transform little churches just like yours in Colossians or in San Antonio, Texas. Nothing. I mean, didn't Jesus say, upon this rock, I will build my church, and not even the gates of hell will overcome it. Not even suffering will overcome the gospel. That's what he's saying. That encourages me. Encourages me. Lastly, it's a benefit to me because his suffering identifies with Jesus, who died to bring forgiveness and new life to a dead world. Paul's life speaks the gospel. That's what it means that I'm filling up the afflictions of Christ. My very life, even at great cost to myself, is bringing good news to you that brings life. Brings life to you. And so Paul's suffering identifies back to Jesus and the cross and it's comforted me, it benefits me to think about Paul's life, that his life was a testimony of the very gospel message itself, that I will give up my life for your sake. It leaves me with two questions, personally, and maybe you'll ask these questions too. Do I glory in the power of the cross to save the irreconcilable in my own personal life? Is my life seasoned by the glory of Jesus, the Jesus of the cross and the resurrection? Do I glory in the power of the cross in my life? Um, do I glory in the power of the cross uh, in my conversations with colleagues or at home, and can I just be honest with you? I, some of you might think that when I'm home, I just, I'm just talking about Jesus and the cross. I don't talk about Jesus and the cross enough at home. That's my conviction. When I, when I read Paul, when he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings, I recognize I, I, I'm not the dad that I ought to be. I, I'm not the husband that I ought to be. And so Paul's life, as an encouragement to me, he says, 
Paul says, Danny, look, look what I've done. I've given up my life for the cross. Are you giving up your life to the glory of the power of the cross and the relationships that you have in your life? A lot of times the answer is no. But I wanna be. So that's the first question I personally ask. Do I glory in the power of the cross? Does my life identify? Obviously, I can't be a Paul. We don't live in that culture yet where we suffer for the sake of the gospel. Or, or maybe we would if we were like Paul. I don't know, one of the two. Um, but do I glory in the power of the cross in everyday life? The second question is this. What part am I playing or should I play in the filling up what is lacking in the extension of the message of the cross into the world? So two questions. Do I glory in the power of the cross in my life? Does it really, does it really matter in my life? Is my life seasoned by glorying in the power of the cross? And the second one is, what's my role in filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ? the work that's left to be done to bring the gospel to San Antonio or to Ukraine, and we have a couple in Ukraine right now, or uh, we're about to send a team to Burma uh, there. Right, what, what is my role in that? What's, what's your role in that? What's your role in your family? I mean, what's your role uh, in your middle school or high school? What's your role in your workplace? That's what I'm left with. Those are the questions that I ask myself. Um, we're gonna move into a time of response and I really want you to take the time to ask yourselves those kinds of questions. And be honest with yourself about what the Holy Spirit says to you um, as you reflect on those questions. But ask those questions. Uh, what part do I play and do I glory in the power of the cross in my everyday life? Even, even a fraction of how Paul does. Ask those questions. Um, let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for the testimony of Paul that we have record of in this little letter and Lord, may we be encouraged in the same way that hopefully the Colossians were encouraged to glory in your son Jesus, in that glorious work of restoration and reconciliation, forgiveness of sin, and new life that he worked in his suffering on the cross. Lord, may that encourage us and equip us to go into a world that is desperate to hear that same message, that is desperate to see a life lived out like that, that is led and empowered by Jesus. Help us be those kind of people. Help us to be that kind of church. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand together. We're gonna worship and respond to the same God who led Paul and equipped and empowered Paul, you come, you come pray, pray where you are. Um, if, if you wanna respond in faith to this new Jesus who says, come to me, you'll know forgiveness of sin and new life and restoration. And you've never done that before. The only way you can live the life God's called you to live is through Christ, keeping your eyes on him. You come respond during this time. Let's sing together.
Open up. 
First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.